The following audio is from Grace City Church in San Diego, California. More information about Grace City Church is available at gracecitysd.com. Truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled, my steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Now let's go to verse 12. Behold, these are the wicked. Always at ease, they increase in riches. All in vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. For all the day long I have been stricken and rebuked every morning. If I had said, I will speak thus, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task. Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I discerned their end. Truly, you set them in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors. Like a dream when one awakes, O Lord, when you rouse yourself, you despise them as phantoms. When my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in heart, I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast toward you. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterward you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you for this passage today. Um, Thank you for its truth and its word. Uh, May it just be ever so engraved onto our hearts, God. Um, May you just be with us as we hear your message. Um, May we just listen to it with both ears open, God, and uh, with just a heart open to hear what you have to say. Um, Be with us in this time. Keep us safe, healthy, and strong. Um, And we love you so much, God. In your holy name we pray. Amen. Hey, good morning, church. Today, we're going to be continuing in the book of Psalms. And we are going to be uh, looking at Psalm 73, verses 1 through 3 and 12 through 26. And we're in this series right now called Praying the Psalms. Uh, And today, we're going to be talking about this idea of facing our doubts through prayer. Uh, How many of you have faced doubts before? Uh, I've been there. And so today, that's what we're going to be looking at and and really how the Psalms help address that in our lives. Uh, So just, I want to ask this question as we start out. How do you deal with your emotions? Uh, We looked at this a couple weeks ago, but how do you personally deal with your emotions? Uh, For some of us, we can naturally stuff them. We can stuff our emotions and, and we're, we're very uncomfortable with sharing our emotions uh, because in many ways it just feels too raw for us. Uh, we, we don't really want to admit it and so we stuff it down deep inside. I've been able to meet with some of the guys in the Cure uh, study that we've been doing and so we went over chapters five and six this past week and one of the things that we talked about was just how we don't like to talk about what we've been through. We really just kind of brush it under the rug. And so some of you today might identify with that, where you're not really honest with some of the things that you've been through. And we sweep it under the rug and we act like it's not a big deal. But what the Bible tells us is that we don't need to stuff our emotions, but we can really face them. For some of us today, we spread them, right? We share it. It's a very popular thing to say that it's your feelings that are everything. And so... Our feelings can control us and we could just spread them out on social media and other platforms and places and people. But what does the Bible encourage us to do? Well, it encourages us to pray them, to pray your emotions. 
See, the Bible doesn't deny feelings, but also it isn't controlled by feelings. Those in the book of Psalms pray with their feeling. And the writer today, Asaph, takes his emotions into the presence of God. Now we've asked this before, but why are we studying the book of Psalms? Well, the Psalms help us to practically pray. And that's what we need right now. We need prayer in our lives. And so the Psalms are are a look into the heart. The Psalms reveal the, the raw motives and emotions of people all throughout the Psalms. They give us this gospel lens, this gospel way on how to deal with the emotions that can overwhelm us. The Psalms help us to know that it's safe to take our emotions to God. See, for some of us today, we might have grown up in a church environment before that told us, stop feeling that way. Stop thinking that way. But the Bible addresses them head on. It says, yeah, this is the real raw emotions of what I'm feeling right now. We believe that there's a God who's big enough to meet us right where we're at. And so today's text in particular addresses the emotions we face as we wrestle with doubts. This week, as I was looking through my Facebook feed, saw an article uh, about a pastor that I'm acquainted with. He lives in New York City, and it was an article written by the Washington Post. And here's what it was entitled. A pastor in the Bronx thought he knew hardship. Then his church saw 13 coronavirus deaths. Here's what it says. Pastor Mike Carrion kept getting calls from church members. My grandfather is sick. My aunt is in the ICU. My father just died. Now carry on braces at any ringtone. Please, Lord, not one more person. Carry on leads the Evangelical Promised Land Covenant Church in the South Bronx, the heart of the U.S. It's the coronavirus epicenter where COVID-19 is especially ravaging African-American and Latino communities. I'm on the phone with a mom and she screams, how does she continue to raise her other children with her baby gone? Kirion said of speaking with a mother of a seventh grader who died of COVID-19. No seminary class prepares you for this. See, many times as Christians, we're not equipped to face the challenges and the difficulties of life. And when we're hit like this, it takes us to a place of doubt, of doubt. And so our text today is Psalm 73. And the writer is a man named Asaph. Now he's attributed with 12 Psalms and could possibly be a leader or a musician. And in these Psalms, he's confessing how he's filled with doubts. Commentator Derek Kidner says that the great psalm is the story of a bitter and despairing search, which has now been rewarded beyond all expectation. It recalls the question that distracted Job and Jeremiah, but at the end, they no longer seem unanswerable. The answers come 
when Asaph lays his emotions before God. And so from today's text, how do we learn to pray our doubts? Well, we learn in three ways how to do this. Number one, by speaking honestly. Number two, staying committed. Number three, seeing clearly. Speaking honestly, staying committed, and seeing clearly. And so let's break down today's text. The first one is speaking honestly. Look at verses one through three. Truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Now let's turn to 12 through 15. Behold, these are the wicked, always at ease. They increase in riches. All in vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. For, the, for all the day long, I have been stricken and rebuked every morning. If I had said, I will speak thus, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. What's happening in this passage? Well, Asaph is coming clean. He's, he's speaking honestly. One of the conversations I had with my kids recently is this, that they need to learn to tell on themselves. They need to learn to tell on themselves, right? There's feelings and thoughts and emotions that they're feeling. And so what I'm telling them is, is come to me as your father, honestly. Be honest with what you're, what you're feeling and what you're going through. If you can learn in life to tell on yourself, then you'll be way healthier. And so what happens here is, is Asaph is basically telling on himself. He's saying, this is what I'm really feeling. This is my real struggle. In verse two, is important because here's what he says. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. Now, this is the picture of someone who's on a journey and they almost quit. They almost give up. Essentially, he's saying, I almost lost my faith. Let me tell you about the time I almost lost my faith. He said, I was teetering on the edge. Last year, me and my wife, as a gift from my father-in-law, got this opportunity to go to Kauai. And the beautiful thing about Kauai is there's plenty of places to hike and, and see waterfalls. Well, we were on this hike and we got to this place where there was a ledge and there was like a waterfall next to us. And, and my wife said, take a picture of me right here. And so I'm standing there with my iPhone, like, okay, about to take a picture. And no lie, she, she says, whoa. And she's really close to the edge. She stumbles a little bit. And the fear that, that came inside of me as I saw her stumbling on the edge where there's this waterfall on the other side. We were just talking about this this week. I said it was frightening. And what Asaph is saying is, that's where my faith was. I was teetering on the edge. I was stumbling and it looked like I was almost about to fall. 
Why is this happening to his faith? Well, he tells us in verse three, he says, I saw the prosperity of the wicked. I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Right, here's the thing we know. The challenges that people are facing in our world right now, it's not evenly distributed. It's not evenly distributed. There are some people that have harder challenges than other people. And so it's hard for us to see and be compassionate about the global pandemic that's going on right now. Because for some of us, it's not hitting us like it is other people. And what Asaph is saying is this, he said, I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Right, there's people that don't know God, that are doing evil, wicked things, that are prospering. What's up with that? The self-promoting, the backstabbing, those people are doing fine. But yet somebody who's following God is struggling. Like, like Pastor Carrion, right? Struggling. Facing some real challenges. Yet there are others that are doing okay. They're doing fine. See, doubt is never just thinking. It's seeing. It's seeing. It's seeing with your eyes and saying, okay, that doesn't look right to me. And Asaph is struggling with that personally. See, the psalmist is refreshingly frank. It's like I heard one time, Frank is your friend. You know, Frank is your friend. You can, you can be honest. And so the psalmist is refreshingly honest. He saw other success and he said it made him angry and upset. He's basically saying life's not fair. See, what is doubt? Doubt is a spiritual condition when your eye gives you your brain something that it can't process and tempts you to put your foot in the wrong place. When you see something and it doesn't register right in your brain, you say, that's, that's, how, how can that be? And you're tempted to put your foot in the wrong place. For Asaph, hardship and injustice, it became personal for him. It became personal. See, knowing about injustice and then experiencing it are two different things. They're two different things. And his heart is having trouble processing all that's going on. Timothy Keller said that doubt always masquerades as more intellectual than it is, but doubt is a condition of the soul and the heart. Do you see the condition of his heart? Because he tells us what it was in, in verse 13. He says this, all in vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. Do you hear what he's confessing here? At this point, Asaph has slipped into self-righteousness. Into self-righteousness. See, what, what did all of this start to uncover in his life? It started to uncover that 
he was living self-righteously. He was believing that he was a lot cleaner than he really was. And so all of this was starting to come flooding into his life. So how does he get out? Well, staying committed. Staying committed. Look at verses 16 through 18. But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then I discerned their end. Truly, you set them in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin. How does Asaph stay committed? Well, number one, through experience. Their experience, right? He, he, he started to experience hardship and difficulties and troubles, but now he's starting to experience something different because look at verses 16 and 17. It says this, until I went into the sanctuary of God, until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then I discerned their end. See, what brought him out of his despondency? What brought him out of his doubts and his struggle? Experience. See, he first experienced hardship that caused him to doubt. But now he experienced worship that helped him to believe again. That helped him to believe again. Verse 17 tells us that he worshiped his way out of his doubts. He prayed, sang, spent time with other believers. When he talks about the sanctuary of God, he's talking about a place where people are gathering together and placing their focus on God. Not on their circumstances, not on their problems, but placing their attention and their focus on God and who God is. Worship engaged his senses as much as his intellect. Secondly, it's through thinking. Look at verse 18. Truly, you set them in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin. What's Asaph doing? Well, he's comparing the paths. My youngest, she's six years old, her name's Ava. And I don't know what it is about Ava, but she's the most cautious, but gets hurt more than all my other kids. Most cautious out of all of them. And she's been to the emergency room and hospital more than any of them. But the funny thing about Ava is this, that, that now that she's experienced some of those hardships and those difficulties, I see her where she, she likes to jump from one couch to the next. What she does is she, she looks from the couch and starts to survey a little bit and to think about some of the consequences from jumping from one place to the next. She starts to think about it and then she makes the wiser decision. And so what's happening here with Asaph? Well, as he comes in worshiping God, he starts to think about the end. He starts to think about, okay, let, let me think this all the way through. The, the, the path that I feel like I'm being robbed of right now. And he encourages us to think as well. It, it, here's the thing. If there is no God, then there, there's only the strong eating the weak. 
There is no purpose. There is no ultimate accountability. But as a believer, there is a God. There is purpose. There is ultimate accountability. And there is a bigger plan that that we can't see that only God can. And God is the only one who can see to the end. And Asaph, as he's worshiping, understands that he's worshiping a sovereign God. A God that knows. See, many times we get ourselves into trouble by thinking that we know everything. That we know the end. But I'll be honest, I, I have been in a place more than ever before where I feel like I don't know what the end looks like. I, I don't know. But I know that God is with us. And so let's think on these things, trusting that God is there. Lastly, seeing clearly. Here's what he says, 21 through 26. When my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in heart, I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast towards you. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? But there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. See, as Asaph stayed the course, right? He stayed committed. He saw himself more clearly and he saw God more clearly. What do I mean by that? Well, first, he saw himself clearly. Look at verse 22. He says, I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast towards you. The beauty about the, this psalm is that you can see where he starts, but where he also ends. And on this journey, he saw a reflection of himself. He says, I was brutish, I was ignorant, I was like a beast. It's like a beast. One of the things about having kids is you're always watching Disney films and shows. And, and one of the, the ones that, that's really emotional when I watch it is Beauty and the Beast. And the reason is, is you know, there, there's, there's this beast who has someone who comes into his life and starts to love him. And what happens is this, this love transforms him. It, it makes him different, right? And you know that scene, right? At the end where, where the, the transformation happens, where, where he, he gets lifted in the air and, and, and they start spinning around and then all of a sudden he becomes human, right? It's this beast who becomes human. And what it was, it's love that takes his beastliness and transforms him into a human. The curse is broken. Now, what does that have to do with this verse? Well, what we find is that the beast, Asaph, starts to see himself for what he truly is, a beast. 
And why is that illustration so powerful for me? It's because when I think about myself and the person that I was and the person that I can be at times, it's a beast. That I look at God the way that I do, that I, that I reject him the way that I do. That I'm ignorant in the ways that I am. Yet, we see that God more clearly through it all. Look at verses 23 through 25. It says, nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? See, what we find is that in the midst of being a beast, he received undeserved love. Because the core of this relationship is love. It's God's love. How do we see it played out? Well, think about it. How many times in our life have we thrown God under the bus? When things aren't, are going sideways, when plans are falling apart, when life is going badly? See, here's what happens. In what we call the real world, people leave. Relationships are expendable. But the beauty of verses 23 through 25 and the gospel good news is this, that God is not like any person you've ever met. That God loves us through our ignorance, through the times where we've rejected him. And what we see is that God holds us through it all. Why? Grace. It's his grace. Because from beginning to end in this prayer, we see God's grace all the way through where God is changing Asaph. Not just his circumstances, not just the outside things going on. He's changing Asaph. And Asaph is seeing that more clearly. He's seeing himself more clearly in the way he's responded, but also he's seeing God more clearly in the power of who he is and the love that he has for him. And so let's look at some takeaways today. What do we do with our doubts? Number one, expect them. Expect them. If Asaph, who's an author of scripture, has doubts in his life, then you better believe that you're gonna face it too. You're gonna face moments of that. And when did you ever hear that as a Christian? Many times we don't hear that, right? That we're gonna face doubts, that we're gonna face valleys. It's a part of it. You look at the life of Doubting Thomas, right? We call him Doubting Thomas, John 20. But here's the thing, even in the midst of his doubts and, and, and struggle, when he sees Jesus and meets Jesus face to face, the risen, resurrected Jesus, he says, my Lord and my God, this is the clearest confession of faith that we have in the gospels. See, what we have is, you can be honest about your doubts, your fears, your struggles. But there's a God who will be with you to the very end. And the hope is that you're the person that makes the clear confession of faith of who God is in the midst of your struggles. Here's the thing, you won't grow without honestly addressing doubts. I love this quote from Osganis. 
God is his own best apologist. God will show you who he is in the midst of your doubts. And so expect him, number one. Number two, pray your grumbles. Pray your grumbles. Asaph is grumbling here. You ever have those grumbles that just kind of come out of you? Maybe you're driving, you're alone by yourself. Say, how do you know that, Randall? It's because I have them. (laughs) I struggle with it. You're just kind of grumbling to yourself, talking to yourself. What this invites us to do is to pray those, those little things that are there, those those little struggles that you've got in there. James 5, 9 says this, do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. See, don't, don't grumble at other people. Take them to God. Take them to God. He wants to hear them. And ultimately, he's the only one who can do anything about it. So take those to God. Third, Ask God to search you. See, here's the thing. True motives will be revealed by God. True motives will be revealed by God. Psalm 139, 23 says this. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. The ugliness of the heart is revealed when God searches us. You remember back in verse 3? Here's what was really going on in Asaph's heart. He was envious. He was envious of those who were wealthy, rich. It looked like everything was going well for them. He was envious of them. Verse 13 says, All in vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. Again, he is struggling with immense amounts of self-righteousness. And God is washing him clean of those things. Lastly, discern the end. You can look at that in verse 17. He says, you know, he thought through what is the end? What does that look like? I love this book, A Tale of Three Kings by Gene Edwards. It's about the life of David. It's different seasons in his life. And there's this one part where the character of David in the book and this is King David from the Bible, says, only God knows. Only God knows. See, again, what what is this season teaching you? Are you at a place where you are in complete surrender saying, only God knows. But I know that that's the best end that I can have, is that God is there. See, friends, here's the gospel today. How is it that God will never leave us, even in those moments where we doubt him and act like Asaph did, a beast? How is it? Well, Psalm twenty-two, sixteen tells us that there was a season in, in Jesus' life It's a prophecy about Jesus. Here's what it says. It says, dogs surround me. A pack of villains encircles me. They pierce my hands and my feet. You see, Jesus, full of grace and truth, God in the flesh, walked among us, 
and like beasts, we killed him. See, it was on the cross that Jesus paid the ultimate price for my sin and your sin. The ugliness and brutishness in our hearts, he died for it. So that through him, we can have life, eternal life. Not, not, not temporary life, but eternal life. And so today, do you have doubts? Are you coming to God and you've got some grumbles? I encourage you to seek him, to ask God, search my heart, search me from the inside out. Transform me, Lord. Show me those areas where I thought I knew, but I don't. I need you, Lord. And surrender your life to him and say, Lord, I need you. Jesus, everything that you've done for me. Will you come to Jesus and allow him to be enough for you today? It's okay to doubt. We have those moments, but don't stay in that season because Christ has an answer for you today. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your grace in our lives. We thank you for your truth. We thank you that you're enough and that your grace is sufficient for us. I pray, Lord, that if we're struggling with doubts right now, that we can come to you honestly like Asaph did and know that you'll receive us and you care for us. And you didn't condemn Asaph for this, but you walked with him through it. And it says you held his hand and you guided him. And so, Lord, if there's anyone struggling today, I pray that they know that you haven't left them, that you're there to guide them, and that you're there to change their hearts. Change our hearts, O Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this resource from Grace City Church. If you found this helpful, feel free to share it and enjoy more resources at gracecitysd.com. Grace City Church exists to equip people with the gospel for everyday life.